This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. How you doing, everyone? Thank you for tuning in to this episode of Ready to Record from Blue Girl Studios, proudly sponsored by VFX Unleashed, powered by Amarillo College and SimCore Productions. My name is Daniel the D3 Cohen. I'm your host, and I'm speaking to you from Blue Girl Productions' worldwide headquarters and studios here in my garage. I'm a 20-year-old aspiring musician, engineer, and producer, and like many of you guys, I make music out of my own home studio. You know, some of today's biggest hitmakers work from home studios, so maybe we can help one of you accomplish your big dreams. Now, before we get into the episode, I want to talk about our sponsor, VFX Unleashed, powered by Amarillo College and SEMCOR Productions. VFX Unleashed is a complete accredited online VFX school where you can learn how to have a career in the visual effects industry in classes taught by industry professionals. There are programs in all major aspects of VFX production and software, including Photoshop, After Effects, Maya, Nuke, Cinema 4D, and many more. Online, fully remote classes start every eight weeks, and a full VFX studio within Amarillo College's Innovation Outpost will open next year, which will have a state-of-the-art soundstage and motion capture studio. You can check out all that VFX Unleashed has to offer and enroll today at vfxunleashed.com. Thank you to VFX Unleashed and SEMCOR for being our very first sponsor, and we are proud to have you. Now, let's get into the show. Today we're going to be finishing out our conversation with Jerry Bryant of JBTV, the podcast on our network Pantheon Podcasts, so we hope you enjoy. What do you know? You've just been in uh, TV and radio for 50 years. <laughs> oh, my God. Now I really feel dated. Yes, indeed. I'm so old. <laughs> you know, we, we had this uh, we on uh, on Polk Street. We had this place called Lombardi Sports, and they, they've been gone for a number of years now. But uh, Papa Lombardi started this thing and uh, up on the. Uh, up on the wall and it's still there because they haven't torn down the building to make condos yet. But up on the wall, it's still there. It says 65 does not mean retirement. It means reinvention. Yeah. Yeah. So since you've surpassed 65 and you're moving to 70, all, all that we can say is you've got time to reinvent yourself yet again. Well, considering your uncle's going to be 90, uh, uh, our grandfather, uh, literally, I mean, I got another whole 20 years. (laughs) <laughs> and a Probably lot's going to happen in 20 years. Uh, he, he's not saying goodbye anytime soon. We, we know that for a fact. The, the old man still walks the dog every day. Good for him. He goes to the gym. Um, you know, I, I actually, I, I, I went to, uh, they live in the Gulf Coast. They live in Sarasota, Florida. 
which really does not feel like the rest of Florida when you're in the Gulf Coast there. Yeah, yeah. South, South, South Florida is very different from anywhere else in Florida. But uh, it, 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 was, it was funny because I, I, I went down and, and rode the bicycle, and he was, impressed with, he was impressed with how much I was doing, you know, and, and, and feats of strength or whatever. But it, it was, it, I, you know, I think to myself, well, geez, there, you know, you can, you could sure be impressed with me, but I'm, I'm the 19 going on 20 year old. I'm supposed to be able to do this stuff. Look at you over here doing this full body workout. Us old folks have, uh, you know, anyhow, I can't believe, you know, we've been talking almost three hours. Do you realize that? It happens to me. Yeah. Have you actually been recording all this? most of it yeah oh great great i hope you get something good out of this i don't know i just been rambling on so you know usually you know what here here's the thing that i've learned and let let me let me ask you if if you've found this in in your time interviewing people but i've learned that i get worse interviews when i prepare oh. uh, when i prepare stuff and i i still do research and i have bullet points and i'm pretty meticulous most of the time this time around, I decided to go in a little bit looser. I, I have some bullet points. I'm, I'm on my laptop here. I have some bullet points and some history uh, on JBTV and you on up, up on my main recording computer. So I, if you see me looking up or down at my phone or my studio computer, that's that's me looking at some bullet points. But generally speaking, you know, I, I really don't like preparing questions. I agree. And it seems like uh, the hosts on TV shows like Stephen Colbert is really great because he's uh, Jimmy Kimmel. Uh, but Jimmy Fallon, on the other hand, has got a stupid cue cards there. And he's always looking for the next question. He's got to get this question in. And instead of listening to somebody and going in all these different directions, uh, you get it's more free form. I don't like preparing either. I like just knowing a little bit, like you said, bullet points and uh, I like discovering like these bands and you meet people and all of a sudden the conversation turns into something that you didn't plan. And those are the magical interviews. Those are the interviews that mean something versus. So, Daniel, when did you start your podcast? <laughs> you know, that kind of thing, you know. Yeah, I, it's like I, I I've done two interviews where I had prepared questions and they sucked probably. Right. They were only good because i knew who i it's like i prepared the questions because they were one of them was somebody one of them was shelly yakis do you know the name shelly yakis no no like, he recorded the band some music from big pink oh he recorded imagine lennon he, he was uh the engineer while phil Spector was producing uh he did the raspberries he did both winter brothers he's done he's done so it's like he's done everything right wow. you know he's 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 no al schmidt but he's he's up there mm -hmm. um if you know the name al schmidt uh and uh you know i prepared questions there because there were some there were some things as a fan of his work that i genuinely wanted to know um and I, I took meticulous notes, but I didn't use every, I, I, I used every question, but we went off on tangents and we <laughs> had a real conversation, you know? Yeah. Those um, are the best when you can do that. And plus I do long interviews too. I don't, I, every time I have, that's why I like having my own studio because you mm -hmm. have control. 
like in your basement there. You can do as long as you want or as short as you want. When you get into these big TV stations and and facilities, you're you're like, well, you only have the interview and the and a good example. I don't like doing interviews at the venue either because you're backstage. All these people are pounding on the door. Ten minutes. You got ten minutes. You know, I mean, they, they they're always trying to hurry you on because everybody wants to talk to the bands. You know, I never like going backstage either at uh, bands or being it's like oh it's real magical backstage nah i want to be in the back way in the back because that's where the true fans are you know they're the ones that really want to be there for the music because they don't have the best view they don't always get the best sound but they get the best experience you know then the people at the front sitting there like entertain me you know i paid 50 bucks for this seat No, I paid five thousand for that seat. Oh, that's true. I, I I really dated myself then. This is so back in the eighties, fifty bucks. No, <laughs> yeah, yeah. When my mother, when my mother was uh, uh, still an assistant box office manager, right? Um, yeah, no. I, I, well, come to my venue, get a lawn seat. You'll still have the best sound. We 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 pride ourselves in in sound, and we have great video walls, so we we you can see pretty well from a from our venue as well, but. When you say your yeah. venue, do you actually own a venue or? No, I, I work for a company uh, called Richter Entertainment Group. My, ah, okay. my parents work for this company and, and uh, we uh, are a promoter um, and we rent, a, we, we have a few different venues. We don't own them personally, but we either rent them or uh, have a co uh, have like a cooperation with the owner of the venue um, and we're their promoters, things like that. Um, and so when I refer to a venue of ours, I refer to one of those. Um, but that's so cool because you're taking ownership of something you don't own. But the point is, <laughs> you are so proud to be part of it. You're part of that family, so you sort of are owner. You're the atmosphere. You're getting the good sound out there. Well, you know, when we take ownership of it because we we take ownership uh, in in the way we talk. Like, it's not going to say come to the venue I work at because that that we we that that sounds like we have no pride. Ugh, come to the venue I work at. You know, you'll you'll hear a you'll hear a a, a modern country band and a classic rock band that washed out decades ago. No, fuck that. Come to my venue where I work. Mm-hmm. That that we we built that you know like we we built a reputation as a collective of people. You know, like every. Every member of that team, from the smallest hired hand to the to the big wig, um, and we're a tiny company, but you know it's it's still a it's still a thing. But like, you know, we pride ourselves in the venues where we are, and in 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 the case of, um, and actually in a way, like if I'm if I'm talking about the company I work for, and I'm speaking on the company I work for. We put in the roof of our flagship. So even though we don't own the place, we own the roof. <laughs> so if I'm if I'm speaking my venue as in uh, the company that I work for, our venue, that it is our venue. That's our money in there. <laughs> well, that's that's so cool that you have that much pride in what you're doing and you care about it that much. <laughs> it's like the the mom and pop places that you were talking about. You go to the corporation. The people there don't really care. It's not, you know, I just work there. You go to the mom and pop restaurant or whatever, and they care that you're there. So uh, it just shows it's going to go back to that, too. Everything goes in ups and downs, you know, so. Well, one day a live nation will fall. Yeah, well, (laughs) we'll see. (laughs) Well, 
I haven't yeah. done anything with them. I mean, literally, we used to do all these rock tours at all these different promoters throughout the country. And mm -hmm. uh, it was so encouraging to work with all these promoters because like, like Joe Shanahan at Chicago's Metro would uh, recommend bands to other venues in Minneapolis or Boston or New York or L.A. And there was a circuit that went around and it was a very organic kind of thing that, you know, they were all discovering music as they went places. So, right, right. And that and that's kind of the beautiful thing about about this industry is you can you could do that. Mm -hmm. Now now it's a little bit more washed out, especially on the big bigger acts. But hey, I like the smaller acts, the ones that are uh, hungry and really want to put on a show and care about what they're doing. You know. Well, I just went to see a friend of mine. It was his first show back in in you know a year and a half. Then he's in a Latin band. It's called La Gente SF, ah. San Francisco based uh, uh, music collective, and they primarily do Latin music. It's cumbia and salsa. But they also do reggaeton and some amount of, and, and a bit of hip hop because they that's that's an influence of his. Mm -hmm. You know they'll they'll do a bit of everything. You know, but it but their music is Latin reggaeton. Uh, you know that the whole Afro Latino uh, meets hip hop uh, that sort of thing and it it's um, really fun. But you'd never find that in a in an arena. Yeah, and uh, on the radio, it's like. Where is that on the radio if there is a place that it gets played? So that's where the Internet comes in and, and places like Pantheon <laughs> and right. uh, Spotify and uh, places like that. So exactly. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> this is a lull in the uh, <laughs> ready to record podcast. <laughs> Yeah, dead air, dead air. That's the one good thing we can we can we can say about digital is we can delete all the dead air. All the dead <laughs> air, yeah. Take out every little pause. <laughs> but uh, yeah, it's been a pleasure. You've been uh, quite an inspiration. I'm so glad that uh, you're doing what you're doing, and you're so dedicated. Uh, you know, you're uh, the next generation of that's going to keep this uh, industry alive. And keep music alive. And uh, the fact that you're a musician and you're creating music, it's, uh, it's a really good thing. And uh, I'm uh, very happy to, uh, to know you, sort of, you know, in this way. On Zoom, your first Zoom call. <laughs> well, certainly not my first as a college student, but... Uh, oh, yeah, I forgot about the college stuff. <laughs> college. college. I was a dropout. I, I got two years at Milwaukee Area Technical College. I actually worked at Channel 10 and 36, the two public uh, PBS stations there, WMVS and WMVT. And uh, we used Marconi TV cameras is what I learned on. And mm -hmm. uh, black and white, these big. Then we got TK11s and we got TK42s, uh, all these early uh, cameras, you know. I remember I did a, a football game in Milwaukee County Stadium back when we had Milwaukee County Stadium. And when I lived there and we had this old TK 41 cameras and the cables, there were three of these big cables, about an inch you know, thick. And these things, uh, you had to carry them up in 20 below zero and was like, they were like, they weren't like cable today. And the, uh, and the uh, pinout was about this big. Oh yeah. It was a gigantic pinout. connector, three of them. And you right. had to run so they, these cables. all oh, 40 you know. pins per, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, it was. It was funny. I I don't know how much how much you know the name. Do you know the name Pete Dell? No, I don't think so. He's a he's a mastering engineer. He but before that he was a he was a recording and mix engineer. And he uh, uh see this this is what I do. I I get all the engineers and producers and all that guy. 
And um, so he, he runs this thing called the LA audio lunch bunch and it went online. So I've been, I've been from, from remote from San Francisco, I've been uh, going to the zoom version of it. Uh-huh. And somebody at their house had, I think a TK 40 uh, connector that they had pulled off of the cable. Uh-huh. And it was, you know, the round pin out. And he was like, I had hundreds of feet of this fucking cable. Weighed and a ton. Weighed far more than a ton. It had a lock on it, too. It had like a connector. So you twisted it to hold in. And uh, yeah, and I still, remember those still, very well. And it still had the lock on it. Yeah. And it was, it was, it was hilarious. Um, that it was just like, yeah, it lives on my desk over here. And, you know. Yeah, well, I got these old meters from an old, my old transmitter in Milwaukee. I don't know if you can see them back. Well, I guess you can't see them. <laughs> I take that back. But uh, I got these old uh, power meters and stuff sitting over here, you know. Yeah, I, here, I'll show it to you. Hang on. You keep them in use? No. <laughs> Just stuff I keep. Those right there. See that? Mm. I also yep. got my old on-air light. See that? I do. So that's the meter there. Oh, I can't right there at that old power meter. And uh, so I got this big, I built this whole thing in my front room here. See, and I got another power meter over here. This is the old uh, power supply. Can you hear me okay? Yeah, I can hear you all right. There we go. Then I'll go back to the shot I had before. <laughs> so <clears throat> this is my home studio. Excellent, excellent. Which is in my front room. And then in my bed, and then I got two bedrooms. And one of my bedrooms is nothing but equipment and about 10 uh, Apple computers uh, with all of our stuff. And then I got probably a petabyte. I got like 50, 36 terabyte little drives everywhere full of stuff. And it's all this footage. And some of it I can't play anymore because it was done on an older system with some older Kodak. And it's got watermarks on top of it. So... You know, I'm sure somebody, I'm sure one of your engineer friends can figure out how to decode that stuff. Because my friend Christian White put it in his Apple computer, his brand new Apple computer. He got from Melrose Mac in Los Angeles. And uh, he lives in Los Angeles, but uh, he swears by Apple. He says, Jerry, get rid of these damn PCs. You're crazy. And I go, well, I like these PCs. Well, you know, I, I see where he's coming from. <laughs> well, like I said, I, I, I traded out my my. Uh, my PC tower for Mac mini and then went from Mac mini to Mac pro. And I've been using Mac pros for a while. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, I, I loved how much I could configure windows and, and certain things were a little easier, but overall the experience has been far better on Mac OS, but I don't know, you know, you're being cross. Personally, I think being cross-platform, you're probably smarter and better off. Um, yeah, I got both here, but uh, I don't know. I, well, the only thing I like about the PC is I can plug stuff in, and it seems to pop up and understands it. I plug stuff into my Apple computers, and it never—I can't find it. It's where is it in the menu? It doesn't—it doesn't like pop up. You know, that's my only complaint. Other than that, 
you know, they're great. Especially the new towers. Christian White, my friend in Los Angeles, who does all the stuff for all these different... He does movie trailers and stuff. He's totally high-end. One of the great... He's working on the JBTV. We got a documentary movie he's been working on for 30 years now. He's been shooting stuff of me. <laughs> and uh, someday, if we can get funding... But, you know, you need millions of dollars to do a movie now, you know. Uh, just, to, you know, between the illegal stuff and this and that and everything else. And we we involve all these musicians, so you got to get the rights to use their music. I mean, there's all these different legal things that you have to deal with. That's the biggest problem with my library. I have all this stuff. And every time if I put it on YouTube, they take it down. Oh, a copyright claim, you know? And I go, well, it was recorded at my studio. The band came to my studio and recorded it, you know? So. Well, I guess, I guess you got to start looking for all these forms. <laughs> oh, Not a lot I need. I want to build a new studio in Chicago. I had a great studio, a 10,000 square foot studio right next door here up until 2019 when we had to close it because our lease was up and I had cancer, stage four cancer, and I was still doing shows all the way to the very last minute. It's really funny because my, um, my associate, uh, Chris Vicente passed away at 45 years old. The same month we were losing everything and that was sort of an appropriate end to things but it was a shame because he was so talented and he was into it and stuff he hated all that but he was living a rock and roll lifestyle at jbtv I, he came in as a viewer and he, he never left he was there for like four or five years you know and then now they're built they've taken the my old studio they've gutted the whole place they're making it into condos you know I'm going, well, somebody's front room or whatever is going to be where all these great bands played, you know, Local Age, Failure, uh, BTS, all these different bands on this stage. And it was it was a shame. So I, I had to stop starting all over. So I want to build a new studio in Chicago where I can have artists come in and do these kind of performances, have some podcasting areas. You could come in with your band when you get your band together. I don't care what format it is. It's all about good music and great talent and getting it out there and recording it multi-track, multi-camera, all isolated so you can go back and tweak every shot and make everything look good, remix the audio so it sounds great. Uh, so the artist is at the perfect level of a platform. They're right up there with the quality. You know, so many people make these great videos and the audio sucks. And so many people have great audio and the video sucks. I like to try to make it all suck less. <laughs> it either should all suck or not. All suck. All sucking all the time here on the uh, Ready to Record podcast on Pantheon. See, I'm giving you all these drops. You can use all these, you know. And now, Daniel Cohen, up next, right here on Pantheon with a ready-to-record podcast. Are you ready, Daniel? Take it away. <laughs> See, if I, if, I, if I were running through the real rig, I'd give you some back. See, you why didn't I get the real rig? Don't I, don't I get the good stuff here? Uh... <laughs> never, never do Zoom records. Ah. <laughs> he caught me on, a, he caught me on, the, uh, on the off gig on the B-Rig. <laughs> <laughs> Do I sound okay on my end? You sound great. Good. So, well, so you can use all that stuff if you want. I don't know. I don't know what I've said that you could use, but anything you want. This is your podcast, absolutely. I'm recording this whole thing, too. I'll probably uh, make something out of it, too. So coming up next here on JBTV, the podcast on Pantheon, I have the one and only ready-to-record artist himself, Daniel Cohen, on Zoom. And it's all here, and it's all now. 
See, that would be an open to a podcast. Well, there you go. The JBTV podcast right here on Pantheon. I had Daniel Cohen with the Ready to Record uh, podcast. That's amazing. He's an amazing musician. He talks technical. Uh, he has uh, great product endorsements with AKG and awesome headphones and stuff he likes. So anyhow, <laughs> I'm just rambling on. Sorry. Oh, yeah. And, and and if and if I were uh, if we were doing this, uh, if if we wanted to have a bit of fun, you are listening to JBTV Getting Stoned with Jerry Bryant. You've got it. <laughs> <laughs> and I smoked with so many bands over the years, hundreds of them. And I had some some of these bands like, uh, you know, um, Cottonmouth Kings came in. Boy, they had the best pot of all time. Oh, my God. Well, it's in the name. Yeah, and uh, literally I've got maybe 20 two-hour tapes of interviews with them. And what do we do for the whole time? We smoke pot. Like that. <laughs> Each generation locks in of these seeds the knowledge of all those other generations. And it uh, it is a good thing, and we're missing that. And I think, you know, that's good that that's still happening, you know, somewhere in this world. And uh, the pride and the love that goes into it, just like the love that goes into your music or the equipment that these engineers designed early on. The built, the, you know, people didn't build things to fall apart next year, you know. Uh, no. They yeah, built things I, I, to last forever. And that was I, a pride. Yeah. I, and you know what? It, there are some builders that still do it. I mean, it's obviously in high-end boutique, but it's still that, that thought process is still there. I spoke to, um, I actually worked for a pedal company. Uh, called Hartman Electronics, and we made pedals that were uh, really high-end boutique clones, kind of, and and modif and and variations on the classic stuff: the fuzz face, the 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 Mutron, all, all all the stuff that that everybody really loved. Mm -hmm. uh, all these classic pedals from the sixties, seventies, eighties, nineties, and um, and and you know, we we built them so that they would last forever. You know, you can drop one of our pedals off of a building. It would probably get dented up, but it would last, you know. You yeah, can, like some of these old Shure microphones and stuff. I got an old mm -hmm. mic that's been everywhere, and it still works perfectly. <laughs> Even this old mic, this thing's been everywhere, you know. Right. And in some yeah. places, I don't think it should be. Like when John Lydon came in, uh, he like, uh, you know, we did an interview, and he like drops his pants, and he shoves it in his butt. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going, oh, my God, this is or Mr. Lifto <laughs> with uh, the Jim Rose Circus Sideshow. I don't know if you ever heard of him or those guys, but uh, the name sounds familiar. Yeah, yeah, they used to, to tour with uh, one of the first uh, couple of Lollapaloozas. They do a sideshow there, you know, and they do these tricks. And uh, remember, Eddie Vedder, uh, I'll never forget this. They put him on stage and they they pumped this beer and some stuff in this guy's stomach and they dumped it out. And Eddie's like drinking it. And I go, oh, I would never be caught doing that, you know. <laughs> but uh, he didn't get sick or anything, you know, but it was just interesting how this crazy stuff that went on back then in the early days of Lollapalooza. Right. Speaking of Eddie Vedder, this is a total aside. So I, one of my one one somebody that I, I interviewed was a person named uh, Doug Grion. And Doug Grion was uh, Scott Weiland's uh, solo producer hmm. and, and worked with and did a bunch of records with STP. And, and a lot of a, a lot of stuff and um so so i have a pretty 
close because of that relationship. Not, not, I, you know, cl- close in proximity, like degree of separation with STP. And one of the things that I've always said, uh, especially once Scott died and then once uh, Chester Bennington died, who, who ended up replacing him for a time, he was the Lincoln Park guy. I, I always wanted to hear Eddie front STP mm-hmm. because Eddie and Scott had such a similar vocal style. And I, and, and conversely, I always wanted to see what would have happened had, had Scott sat in on a Pearl Jam song, you know, like, what would that sound like? Yeah, we had uh, Eddie Vedder showed up for a Mike Watt show where the Foo Fighters were just getting their stuff together. They're, they're, you know, they played at the Metro. We taped the show too. I got cu- uh, cuts of it here, and right. uh, it was just cool to have him on. Just his his attitude and his, his you know, the quality, and uh, you know, and they were just playing for the love of keeping music alive. You know, the record company didn't like the fact that Eddie was on stage with these. I mean, here we had the Foo Fighters, Mike Watt, and uh, Eddie Vedder play, uh, singing Piss Bottle Man, a uh, song about, uh, you know, uh, anyhow. It's just it, it was just a magical time, you know. And Mike Watt was one of those guys that uh, wanted to bring musicians together. And it, it meant so much to sing that song because it was about, you know, Piss Bottle Man is about they'd go on these long trips, uh, Mike Watt would, and uh, they'd say, we're not stopping, use the bottle. <laughs> <laughs> right so not that i i couldn't do that either so <laughs> these guys are crazy crazy you know so wow <laughs> uh, can, it, I've, I've i haven't done a ton of this but i've done some of these things where it's like oh that story fits really well here and that this thing have you have you done much of that i, I mean i know you're i know you're a, a little fan, more now than i used to in fact i i used to always shoot things out of order i would just start the interview and not let anybody even know that we're sort of starting a lot of times they didn't even think we were recording yet and i've already well we're ready 10 minutes of stuff and then at the end i go coming up next here on the jbtv you know or one of those kind of things i would do all the ids at the end all that kind of stuff you know like right, right now if you would say Hey, I'm uh, Daniel Cohen. I'm coming up next on JBTV with your podcast. Then I'd have an open to the show with you saying it. Go ahead and say that. Coming up next, this is Daniel Cohen right here with Jerry Bryant on JBTV. Excellent. See, you just did an open for me. Now can you do one that says that the, the JBTV podcast? You're listening to the JBTV podcast. And it's right here on Pantheon. Right. Has Pantheon been good for you? Do you like them? Well, I've known Peter and Christian most of my life, mm-hmm. you know? so it's it's uh, it, it's been very. I, I wouldn't have had a podcast otherwise, you know. So well, I, can't, I can't really say. I mean, I, I'm I'm real curious what you think of being on Pantheon since you've. I don't had- know yet. Uh, Jason Dragon uh, introduced us to these guys, and uh, we had a conference call. And uh, that was the end of it. That's the last I heard. And then I got my audio guy, uh, Jason, that uh, does the audio mixes. And he sort of, you know, makes everything sound better than I do. Because, you know, I talk really loud. I have a lot of dynamic range, you know. And um, so he flattens it out and makes it sound good. Then I got Fizza, my other assistant, who uh, is at her house doing stuff and helping, you know. 
And I just sit here in my place and put it all together and I, I edit the show and then I give it to them and then they fix it up. And then, but my, I'm a video podcast too. So all my, every, every interview that's on uh, Pantheon is a video interview, including this one right here. I'm recording this whole thing on video. So, you know, sure. I mean, I'm, I'm recording the video of this, but I, I don't do video podcast. The one thing that I'm, I'm thinking about and can, and really starting to consider is doing the video podcast, especially now that my primary record method uh, has gone into video. It's important. Um, and I think that's where, uh, you would like the, the cause like, I'll take this interview. I've got four cameras. I'll only use you and me probably on these two cameras, but, um, and I'll put that into a timeline and then I'll cut it all up. And then I export that as one big file and then I can go back in and then I can do the nonlinear stuff where I can move things around if I want, you know, but I'm pretty much, I, I keep it in order. I don't like uh, when we did performances here at JVTV, I would never stop the band. I always told them, if you screw up, continue on, we'll do the song at the end because uh, there used to be a, a show out of a WTTW here in Chicago called Soundstage. And, and after every song, the director would go, cut, 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 cut. <laughs> and you're doing a live show. You're going to lose all your momentum. So what if you screwed up? We can do the song after the fact. We can do it over at the end. Let's continue with the set. And a lot of times, I would say 99% of the time that the artist said, oh, let's, we're going to take that one over at the end. And they would tell us that. And they'd do the song over. And then we'd be at the studio listening and go, you know, that first cut, even though it's got the mistake, it was so special. It was so magical that it, it worked and it was it was organic and nothing. The audience didn't really know because it's, this, you know, music is is so personal. The artist knows everything. The art, the, the audience is sitting there listening and absorbing a whole different experience than what the musician thinks it is, you know. And sometimes those mistakes are so magical. And literally most of the time, you know, your first take is probably the best one because it's it's totally from the heart. And if you try too hard and you do 50 takes, you know, like a lot of times in movies, they do that, you know, do all these different takes. Oh, let's try that again where you're this or you're that. And they end up with the first take. I did that with Joe Kelly all the time. He used to hate it. Oh, oh you'll you'll love you'll love this story. This this is fucking funny. Go for it. So I'm recording. I, I've just co-wrote this song with this pop rock band tomorrow soon that I was talking about earlier. And they're in my studio and I'm doing a demo bass track. And we've just finished cutting the drums and I got the I got the bass rig mic'd up. And I'm using a figure eight pattern ribbon mic on the bass. And I got a good bass tone. I like it. I have it set up the way I want it. I'm 90, probably 93% done with the song. Mm-hmm. My drummer had a fill that I was going to quantize after the fact, but he was so pissed off with it that he had to yell, which he thought he was whispering, but he had, he had cans on. So he doesn't know the difference between whispering and yelling, you know? Yeah. 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 So he's at, still sitting in the kit and he's quiet until everything else. And he was like, at this moment, he goes there, I fucked up. And I have to stop the take because even though I was doing good, mm -hmm. you could hear it in Mike because yeah. figure of a pattern. So the back was facing him mm -hmm. going, mm -hmm. I fucked up. And he's like, why, why, why'd you stop? I'm like, shut the fuck up, dude. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like, what are you talking about? Like, you just yelled into my fucking take. What do you, what do you mean? What am I talking about? <laughs> and it was a special take like, and it just shows you. 
<laughs> and I, and he and he was like, but I, I I've whispered that. I went, no, you didn't. And headphones <laughs> do that. <laughs> so it was yeah, it was that was a funny one. That cool. was very, very funny. Well, we've gone what three hours now? Somewhere along those lines, yeah. It's the three hour ready to record podcast here on Pantheon. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, uh, thank you for taking the time. Hey, I I have no problem with time. I uh, I take as much time as the as you know we want. Whatever I, you know, at my age, you don't want to limit everything you do. No, <laughs> <laughs> that's fair. But uh, yeah. No, I've never been on that kind of schedule. I don't. Uh, I, I like only doing one or two things at a time. If I do an interview, I also like to edit and do the whole interview after the fact too, when I still fresh in my mind, you know. Mm-hmm. And the problem I have when we shoot at Lollapalooza or all these different events, I got all this footage, and I've now forgotten a lot of the stuff that happened that were magical that I would have caught if I could have edited it right away, you know. Because you remember everything. Oh yeah, that was cool. That was this is crappy or whatever, you know. So well, you know, I, I'm kind of the opposite. I like taking a, I like taking time away from, from my, uh, from my stuff. But that's that's because you know, because I'm primarily a one man operation. Me too. I, I really have to. Um, I get really nitpicky. Hey, and, nothing wrong with that. It's your style, and you should never change it. Right, but I, but I don't. But it's not that I'm necessarily as nitpicky. But it, it's one of those things where, like, you know, I, I'm sure you've gotten used to it, having edited yourself for the years that you have. It's but, difficult you know, when I see myself on camera still today. It's it's <laughs> seeing myself on camera is a little bit weird, especially like you know, I for for a number of years before I was able to grow a beard, I had mutton chops. And they were not very good-looking mutton chops either. Went down but here. I, I loved them. Uh-huh. Um, I, I I was really dumb, you know. The mutton chop is supposed to like end here, right? And, yeah, and yeah, go yeah. All the way down to your jawline. Mine mine ended at my jaw. Uh-huh. Um, so I look at myself, and I'm I'm you know fat as a house, and I'm I'm looking at my scrunched up face. Like, oh, <laughs> shit, what the hell's wrong with me? Yeah, yeah. yeah. The same thing. I look at my old stuff too. It's like, my God, I look like a melon head. I was so fat, you know. Mm-hmm. I've, I've gone through all different stages of uh, of uh, weight, you know. But As hey, I. yeah, it's uh, I was fat, and then I was real skinny. Then I was fat <laughs> all over. Now I'm just fat, I guess. I don't know, you know. But uh, I don't know. I'm uh, I, I'm in the stage of what's called working on it. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, when it gets down to it, nobody cares. It's just do be yourself. It doesn't matter what weight you are. It doesn't matter if your mutton chops are cut here or cut there or whatever. It's you. It's your personality. It's your uh, persona that's out there. And that's the only thing that's important. And if it makes you happy, then just go for it. Because uh, life is too short to try to do everything for other people. You know, oh, I got to be skinny for this. Or I got to look like this. Or I got to dress like this, you know. Hey, I don't, I, I, am, I don't do that for anyone else. So no, it's like part. I wear the same shirts. I mean, throughout my my entire career of television, I've had like uh, my closet is nothing but JBTV shirts. That's all I wear. You know, um, well, you're smart. That's good self-promotion there. 
Oh, absolutely. This, this, you know how much this product endorsement is going to cost me? <laughs> well, it cost me millions, actually. Because <laughs> I've turned down sponsors over the years. I never cared about that. It just never. When I was on a commercial TV station, WGBO Channel 66 here, uh, I was doing production and they were going to pay me $150,000 a year to do production. And I said, tell you what, uh, can I do it as a trade? Give me an hour of television time every day. I mean, every once a week and I'll do my TV show for free and you're not going to pay me. And I'm going to do all your gun smoke promos and all the stuff that they do, you know, tonight on WGBO, it's gun smoke. And then at eight, it's love American style or whatever was on. And uh, so the sales department came, you know, you got a good rating last on last night's show. Um, we have sponsors and I go, well, you're going to take 22 minutes out of my one hour. And that means I need to play five more artists. It's more important for me to play those artists. And I turned down big money deals. And when I look back, it's the best damn thing I did. I never sold out to these uh, corporations because they always starting to go like, you should play Madonna. You should play more. You know, they were always they always had a recommendation of what I should be doing than what I was. You know, why do you have they might be giants or or smashing pumpkins? Who cares about a smashing pumpkin? What a name for a band. Radiohead, we had complaints on. Why are you playing radio? What a name for a band. Radiohead. Oh, that's stupid. And look, uh, look at them now. Now, and, now they're the two names. You know. Smashing Pumpkins and Radiohead. Now look at where the hell they are. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they're all over the place. I can't remember half of them. And every day there's another cool name. So, you know. So. Right. The year is 2021, and this is ready to record. <laughs> In spite of my relatively long time doing recording and now having this podcast for close to two years now, I am still rather bright-eyed and bushy-tailed when it comes to a lot of the things that come with the industry itself and all the things that came before my era of the recording industry and film as well, being that I am a bit of a videographer. Naturally, having a conversation with somebody with as much experience spanning as much history of the art form as Jerry Bryant is incredibly interesting, and when I get the opportunity to talk to these guys, I try and soak up all the information they tell me like I'm a sponge. Likewise, it is incredibly uplifting when I get to speak to somebody who is fascinated by the knowledge that I have accrued over my limited time span within this art form and within this industry. For this reason, this conversation has been incredibly interesting to me for two very important reasons. For one, Jerry is incredibly, incredibly well-versed in both audio and video, and is a fabulous multi-talent when it comes to everything in radio and television and everything in between. And secondly, it was really a sincere privilege to be able to basically be interviewed while interviewing Jerry and be able to show off the knowledge that I have as well. 
Jerry, thank you so very much for being on the show. I have super enjoyed this conversation, and I have incredibly enjoyed being able to share it with everybody. For all of you wondering where you can find Jerry Bryant and JBTV, all you got to do is look at our network site, PantheonPodcasts.com. You're listening to Blue Girl Gear Talk, and today I want to talk about a topic that I have spoken about before and will continue to speak about for the rest of this show because it is a never-ending phenomenon. Today I want to pick back up the conversation on computers and converters since they are the centerpieces of any modern recording studio. Now, for the past few years, probably three now, I have been working with a 2009 Mac Pro and a Focusrite Liquid Sapphire 56. Just last year, I expanded out the LS56 with additional inputs through an SSL converter, the XLogic Matty AX. This rig has been incredibly powerful and super useful and as far as the additional production that I've been doing over the last year, it has been fantastic. With that said, looking at my rack shows how dated I am. This Mac Pro, while powerful, is very much obsolete at this point, and the Focusrite Liquid Sapphire 56 is definitely not within support anymore. Hell, my converters haven't been made in a number of years, and even though Mac Pro is still around, Mac Pros like this one have officially not been made for a decade. So, what is D3 going to replace this ancient gear with? I'm glad you asked. A couple of weeks ago, I just took delivery of my brand new system for the studio, a 2021 M1 iMac. Now, this is a bit of a departure for me because I've been using towers and desktop computers that were not all-in-ones for a number of years now, and usually my secondary machines were iMacs. I've had a 2006 iMac, a 24-inch, uh, which was the top-of-the-line 2006 iMac back in the day, and a 20-inch iMac as my secondary backup rig. And I've usually kept either a Mac Mini or a Mac Pro as my main rig. And before I did that, I had PC towers. So, what was the catalyst to bring in iMac? Well, there are a couple of things that I thought of when I did this. For one, it's an incredible deal. These machines are phenomenal, and for what you are getting, they are quite the bang for the buck, especially once you start factoring in price to performance and just how good the cooling system and the power to power consumption is. Likewise, I have been doing far more video production than I ever have before, and the added bonus of the gorgeous 24-inch 4.5K display was something I could not pass.
pass up. So, I have the computer, but what the hell's the converter supposed to be? Again, I am very glad you asked. Right now, my converter, which is two separate units and not used to their fullest potential, is 24 inputs in four rack spaces. What I am about to put in is 32 inputs in one rack space with the ability to expand out to 48 inputs and outputs with the addition of some kind of ADAP preamp or converter. So what is this? Piece of antelope gear perhaps? Maybe the Orion 32 Plus? No. Actually it's a piece of Personas gear. It's called the Quantum 4848 and it's a Thunderbolt 2 interface. It has just I.O., no preamps, just straight conversion, and I love it. I've yet to take delivery of it. As I'm recording this, it comes in just a few hours. When you are hearing this, the day it drops, it will probably have already come, and I am extremely excited to take delivery and put it into my rack. Now, I'm excited for a number of reasons. For one, this gives me much-needed space in my rack and allows me to do some further upgrades that I have not been able to do because I've filled my rack to the brim. The other thing this allows me to do is start thinking more about upgrading cabling and patch bays than I ever have been able to think about before. Once I get this converter in place, looking at something like a Redco TT on the front and D-sub on the back patch bay is not too out of the question. What this also allows me to do is free up yet another rack space because I will have a 96 point patch bay in one space instead of having to have two 48 point TRS patch bays to do what I need to. The other nice thing about this is some of the gear in my rack currently that I don't need anymore once I do these upgrades still has some amount of resale value. This SSL converter that I have not had for very long but have already fallen for is a perfect example of that. These converters, because of their usefulness in spite of no longer being in service or made anymore, they hold their resale value, quite honestly. And I am very happy with the purchase that I made, not only because it has served me incredibly well in the albeit short time I've had it, but when I have to turn around and sell it, it will likely make me the money back that I paid for it, or close to it. Now, given all these upgrades that I've been doing to the studio, this is incredibly helpful for me, and something I hope you guys take a page out of that book in the future. I know resale and being able to reimburse yourself or pay for upgrades by sales and trades is an incredibly important thing for small guys like us who do the prosumer audio. And I am extremely excited to see how I can jockey 
things in my rack that I need to sell currently to make some money to pay for the upgrades. And I'm curious to see how much these upgrades really help me. We'll have to check back in a few weeks after I've been doing some heavy production with this iMac and this new PreSonus converter, and we'll find out together. This is Music from Blue Girl, and today is a special one. This one is a song that I finished yesterday at the time of recording that I have been sitting on for three whole years. Over three years. I started this in September of 2018. It's a long time ago. Now, this has sat in an unarranged form, I suppose, if you want to call it a form at all, for the last three and a half or so years. And I finally took the two sections that I had, put them in an arrangement, and gave it a melody. Of course, while the melody itself is a rough draft, the rhythm tracks that are all done in the box are finished, which means that any layering or vocals that we want to put on it in the future are easily achievable. Who knows? Maybe you'll hear this as a future full-length song released this year. Let me know what you think. That's the show, everyone. Thank you for listening. I hope you enjoyed listening as much as I enjoyed talking to all you. Special major big thank you to Jerry Bryant for coming on the show, and super big thank you for all of you for tuning in in the new year. I want to extend my apologies for my absence in the month of December. I was working on some really cool projects that I am excited to share with you in the coming weeks and months. However, because I was not around for the month of December, I want to do something special, which I think we will all have some fun with. For the month of January, I will be releasing a new episode every week, showcasing really cool interviews with really cool people, as well as talking about some sick new gear and some super sick music that I've been working on. Now, since there is so much gear to geek out on and so much music to share with all of you, let's get to work, eh? So, for now, this is Daniel the D3 Cohen saying Happy New Year, Signing off from Google Productions Worldwide Headquarters and Studios right here in San Francisco, California. We're ready to record. <laughs>